Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and I want to read beginning with verse 18. We're going through the book of Revelation. We'll come back to Revelation right after the Jonah series as well. And I want to read beginning with verse 18. You may remember Jesus is speaking to seven different churches, and really not just to each church, but to us through those churches. And I want us to look this morning as we see Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus says these words, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they, re- unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my father. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let's note God's teaching to us through this church in the days of the Bible, uh, the church at Thyatira, and what God says to us. And the Lord says he knows. And we'll talk about three areas where God knows, things God knows about, ways he knows us. And God tells us these principles so that we'll learn from them. And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write these three things down. First note that the Lord knows our works. That is, the Lord knows what we do. He knows what we're, how we're serving. In fact, he's speaking here to the church at Thyatira, and uh, he really starts by saying, I know because of who I am. And he describes himself here. Thus says the Son of God, Notice Jesus describes himself here as the Son of God. Sometimes he'll describe himself as the Son of Man, really noting, of course, his connection with us and our frailty as humans, but also he often calls himself here the Son of God. And it reminds us that Jesus is authoritative, that everything that's been created was created through him, and that he is relational. God is a relational God. And one of the reasons God made the church, notice that God made these churches, the word churches is really referring to the called out ones. It's talking about people. And the Lord is a relational God, and he made us with a, with a need for a relationship with him and a relationship with others. In fact, the role of the church is to help us to connect with each other and to grow together. And God is the Son of God. He's authoritative and he's relational. Notice Jesus describes himself. His eyes are like a fiery flame. And it's pointing out that Jesus is insightful and aware and he knows what's going on. We could put up a facade and fool other people. I can't know what you're like. You could smile and say, everything's fine. But God knows the inside. He sees beyond the surface level and God knows you. He knows you at the deepest levels. He knows the good and the bad about you. God knows all there is to know about you. And his eyes see you. 
And then he describes himself with feet like fine bronze. And it reminds us of the strength of, of the Lord and his power and that he's firmly rooted. And I'm thankful that he knows us because of who he is. And he says here, I know your works. So he's saying to the church at Thyatira, I know what you do. I know the activity of your church. And he mentions four specific areas of works of the church at Thyatira. He mentions first love and know your love. The church at Thyatira apparently was a church that loved and they loved each other. And they, were, they could be counted on in a time of need. And they loved, they loved to support each other. The Bible says they'll know we're Christians by our love. There's a power to love. And when we love each other, even though we don't see everything always in exactly the same way, and we're different in many ways. We have different backgrounds. We have different pasts. In our case, we're all, we have all sorts of differences. The world would divide us in all those ways. But love in the Lord unites us and connects us. And the church at Thyatira knew something about love, genuine love for each other. He commended them for the works of faithfulness. The church at Thyatira is faithful. I mean, they're the kind of guys who showed up even when it was a little misty outside. They were the kind of church that was dependable. Uh, They gave faithfully. They served faithfully. They attended faithfully. They they were just, you could count on the church at Thyatira. Jesus commended their service. That is, they recognized that a part of their Christian life was not just about what they got, which is how many of us begin to view Christianity if we're not careful, what's in it for me. But they said, we're going to serve because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Not to get, but to give his life a ransom for many. And so they had that spirit and attitude. They were the kind of church that would pick up trash if they saw it in the vestibule or something. They would uh, meet a need that others had. They would think about others quickly and not just themselves. They would say, how can I help? And not just, how can someone help me? They were about serving. And the Christian faith is about service. There's something great about that. Our culture makes us want to think about getting and our faith makes us want to think about serving. And then they, the Bible says he knew their works of endurance. I mean, they just endured. They, they were faithful through hard times and difficult times and moments when it didn't, they didn't feel like following the Lord. I have a pastor friend who has run now, I think it's like I don't know, more than 112, 112, 13, 14 marathons, something like that, every single day, 112 or whatever many days in a row. Now, some days uh, he runs them pretty slowly, and once in a while he'll send out a picture of him eating like a slice of pizza at a Casey's that he stops by partway through the race. He's maybe not setting records for, his, for the speed of the marathons, but every day running a marathon. And some days must feel good and some days not so good. And I'll just tell you, in your Christian life, some days you'll feel like having a quiet time, but some days you won't. And sometimes you'll feel like serving the Lord, and sometimes you don't. But endurance says, I'm going to continue to follow the Lord, even when it's uphill and even when it's narrow. So the Lord says, I know your works. And then he said, at the end of verse 19, he says, I know that your last works are greater than the first. He's saying, I know that you're growing. I mean, you've got some more depth now than you used to have. And you're doing greater things for my glory than you used to do. And you're more dependable now than you used to be. 
And this is a church at Thyatira who didn't just come to Christ and then remain sort of shallow. Many Christians sort of act like the goal of the Christian life is just to be saved, to know Christ as Savior. And listen, I'm all for that. I want you to know Christ as Savior. But they act as though that's the end rather than the beginning. And so they remain baby Christians their entire life. Shallow Christians. Never really growing in faith. Never really learning more about the depths of God. And I want us to grow in breadth. I mean, I want us to reach people who aren't here yet. We ought to care about those who aren't here yet. But I want us to grow in depth. So sometimes I'll watch a, a documentary. I love documentaries. My wife, not so much. Not so much. And so sometimes she'll watch them with me because she loves me. But I'll, sometimes she doesn't watch them. And I'll just, you know, I'll tell her about them. And she is, I mean, nothing more exciting I think, to her than for me to tell her about documentaries that I have already viewed, you know, about the migration pattern of caribou or the life of the spotted hyena, fascinating things about ants, things like that. And I saw something not too long ago, and it talked in the documentary about, uh, about grass, and, you know, that's pretty doggone exciting. And I'm not talking here about marijuana grass. I just want to make that clear to you. I'm talking about the other kind of grass, just the normal grass. And there's lots of grasses. And grasses are, they're amazing. It's this amazing plant. Uh, wheat is a grass, and um, rice is a grass, and bamboo, and all kinds of amazing things. And the interesting thing about grass is you can break the top off, an animal can eat the top of the grass, and the grass will still grow. Or it doesn't feel this way. I mean, if you're hearing this at a later time, this is the middle of winter for us. But it won't be long until spring will come and the grass will grow. And in suburbia, if you're living in suburbia, you have to cut your grass every week over and over and over again, trim it carefully, edge it perfectly, all the things that come with impressing your neighbors, I guess. And grass, you can cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it, and it still grows because there's power in the root. Now, if you, you, know, if you cut through all the way to the root, I suppose there's some damage done. But can I just tell you, this is a... Since I usually lay my documentary knowledge on Vicky, I'm going to lay knowledge on you. Our Christian life, in many ways, is like that. And if you don't build the root, I mean, if there's not some spiritual depth in your life, you're not going to love, you're not going to have faithfulness, you're not going to have service, not for long term. There won't be endurance. God wants you to grow, and God knows your works. So some of you, maybe serving the Lord faithfully. And no one has said thank you, and I, I want to say thank you. I want you to know that even if I don't know and I don't say thank you, the Lord himself knows. He knows your love. He knows your faithfulness and your service and your endurance. Some of you are growing in your life. You're spending time with the Lord in his word day by day. You're growing in your spiritual walk with the Lord, and the Lord knows that. And I want to encourage you in that faith. I want, you to, I want to encourage you. The church at Thyatira, there's so much to commend about them. And they were growing. And I love that. Because the Lord knows our works. And he doesn't take that for granted. He's not unaware of our service for him. But there's a second thing I want you to note that we learn from the church at Thyatira. The Lord knows our weakness. Not just what we do. Not just our works. But he knows our weakness. And go please to verse 20. 
after the Lord says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. Then he says, but I have this against you. There's still a problem. There's a weakness I want you to know. And here's what it is. He says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. We'll see more about her. I think this is not a woman named Jezebel, but then a picture of a woman who's acting like Jezebel. You know Jezebel perhaps from the Old Testament. Jezebel was a wicked, wicked uh, ruler in Israel. She and her husband led the nation away from God and into immorality, into Baal worship and the worship of Asherahs and the immorality that followed that. And she was implicit in the murder of a righteous man and just a wicked, wicked woman. So much so that we still, today, you hear the name Jezebel. Maybe you didn't know it came from the Bible, but it's typically someone who's been characterized by an immoral lifestyle. That's this, whoever this person is in the church of Thyatira. She is like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. And the Lord says here, you have a sin, you have a problem. And it is what I will what I'll call the sin of tolerance. I have this against you, he said. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Well, that sounds odd to us, doesn't it? The sin of tolerance. Because if I understand our culture correctly, our culture says there's only one sin left in all the world. There's only one sin left. Only one sin left. And that's the sin of intolerance. That's the only thing that's left. The only sin is to say there's sin. Our culture says the only truth is that there's no truth. The only absolute is that there are absolutely no absolutes. And so intolerance is like the worst thing that can be said about someone because it's the only sin we have left. But the Lord, the Lord is not swayed by our culture. And so he tells us the truth. And the Lord tells us that sin is sinful, no matter what we think about it. And that there are things that are wrong, whether we like that or not. And no matter what our culture may say, there are some things that are good and some things that are bad, and some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And it's not based on a poll or a culture or an era or a time. In fact, Thyatira sounds a lot like the same sort of situations we face today. You tolerate, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. That sounds so odd to our ears. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem is deception. The Bible says you tolerate the woman Jezebel, verse 20, who calls herself a prophetess, that is, she's in the church. She teaches and she deceives my servants. She's deceiving those who know Christ to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So her sin of tolerance is to lead the people and to deceive the people into immorality, sexual immorality. I said last week, um, God's view of sex is not complicated, but it is controversial in our age. God created sex. He's the author, and he created it as a gift for a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. But in our generation, we have said, anything goes, whatever you think, whatever you feel, and whatever you want. But the Lord said, you're tolerating this immorality. And in fact, the Bible says to us to flee sexual immorality. That's what the Bible says. And this is not me. This is the Lord who says, flee sexual immorality. And then he warns us about compromise. 
He said, um, they eat, she deceives them to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And so perhaps the church at Thyatira was saying something like this. I know what God says about not having other idols, but I know what the, I know what the Bible says, but it's a common thing. It's not uncommon if you've thought that. That's a common thing in our own age. And so we have this danger of being deceived as though sin is no big deal. So I'm not old enough for the hippie generation. I'm a little too young for that. But, uh, you know, I knew of it well. And perhaps some of you are here who are old enough to have lived it more fully. And, but in that generation, uh, really since that generation, protest has kind of been a part of our culture ever since. And I remember seeing a cartoon. I was just a, like, I don't know, maybe a kid or a teenager or something like that. And I saw this like cartoon sort of strip. I don't remember, I don't remember the details of seeing it, except I remember the cartoon. So it had a girl, like a teenage girl, and she was uh, like she was dressed sort of like a hippie would dress, maybe go out on a protest. She had, she had a protest sign, and the sign said, down with conformity. And the mother said, you're not, you're not going outside with that sign. And she said, the girl said, but mom, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it, down with conformity, but everyone's doing it. And that's our generation, isn't it? We are in danger of conforming to the world because the world is always trying to conform us to its view. You're in danger of that because you're affected by the culture all around you. The popular music and movies and television shows and just the world we live in is always pushing to conform us. But the Lord said, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, God wants us to understand the deception that the world wants to give us. That we can go our way, we can compromise, we can be immoral, and it's no big deal. Let's notice, that's the problem, what's the solution? Well, the solution is found here in the text. It's the word repentance. The Lord said in verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So the Lord calls us, as he always does, in response to sin to repent, not to justify sin, not to pretend away sin, not to ignore it, but to repent. In fact, he warns us if we don't accept his offer of repentance and the forgiveness that he gives because of that, judgment is the alternative. So the Lord says sin is real, it's real, and it's dangerous. It causes terrible problems. And if we got just what we deserved by sin, we'd be judged by sin. I'm thankful God offers repentance to us. I'm amazed how seldom we remember the grace of God and how we sort of forget that as though grace is no big deal, as though it's no big deal for God to forgive us of sin, as though the forgiveness he gives doesn't really matter that much, as though it didn't cost Jesus the forgiveness that he gives to us, the grace that he offers the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. So the Lord tells us in response to sin, recognize the reality of it. Don't be deceived as though it's no big deal, but respond properly instead of the judgment that comes with sin because sin always leads to death and destruction and pain and heartbreak and brokenness. By the way, we know that just from ourselves. We're not saying to the world, oh, you bad people, 
sinners. We're saying, man, we know about this because we've experienced this. We know the cost of sin. We know the pain of sin. We are sinners as well. But we're saying the Lord offers us forgiveness and repentance. And when we turn from sin, God is able and willing to forgive us. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. God loves us so much that though we're sinners and though we deserve judgment, all of us, not just someone out there, but us, God offers forgiveness to us. And it's because Jesus paid the price for our sin. And if we'll repent, he'll forgive. So what is, what is the result? Verse 23, the end of verse 23 says this, then all the churches will know. And I remind you that this is not just for the church at Thyatira, it's for all the churches, not just for the seven churches of Revelation, but for us as well. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. And I will give each of you according to your works. And I know what's going on, he's saying. I know what you're going through. And I, like, I'm, I'm not missing this. And the Bible is describing the Lord here as the righteous judge. The righteous judge. One of my brothers is a judge in Missouri. And we call, I call him at family gatherings, I call him the hanging judge. That's really his uh, nickname for, for me. But he's a good judge, I, I think. I think he tries to follow the law well. He tries to do what's right. But he's an imperfect judge. But God's a perfect judge. Righteous judge. And therein lies part of our problem. God does not... Pretend that sin isn't sin. He doesn't allow us to hide behind deception. He reminds us of the truth of judgment. But I'm thankful that God offers forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I'm a patriot and I love our country. Listen, I know I'm not like unaware that our country has problems. I see it every day. It's filled with people, and therein, of course, lies the problem. Like churches, it's filled with people, and there's problems, and our country has plenty of them. It's, our system of government has plenty of problems. I often have said it like this. Our country is the worst country in all the world, save for every other example I've seen. And our system of government is the worst of all, save for every other example I've seen. I'm thankful that we can participate in the process and But I love our country, despite all of our weaknesses and struggles. But I love our country too much not to say, we're going the wrong way morally. And we're going the wrong way spiritually. And the Lord himself knows the weakness of our land. And in many ways, we have the sin of tolerance in our own generation. And we're living in deception to the truth about the nature of sin. And we're facing judgment instead of God's repentance. But if we will repent, the Lord is able to forgive. That's the good news. God can cleanse. We can experience revival again. Even though churches often have a tendency to begin to tolerate the wrong things and go in the wrong direction, God is able to restore and revive. And I am so happy to know God can bring revival to his church. And so he tells us about our weakness so that we will respond by coming back to him. And finding his deep love. We'll see something more of that in the book of Jonah. We'll see what it means to come back to God in a way that's important and meaningful and relevant. There's a third principle I want you to note. I've said God knows, the Lord knows our works and our weakness, but the Lord knows our need. He knows our, he knows our need. And let's, 
go back to the text in verse 21, uh, verse 20, uh, 20 and following. So I'll mention a few of the needs that the Lord shows us here. First, he reminds us that we need to be warned. And really from verse 20 to 23, it's really just a warning from God in many ways. It's a warning from God. We don't have a, a lot of lighthouses here in Illinois. You know, the ocean's a little far from here if you were unaware of that geography. But if you're from the East Coast or the West Coast or the Gulf Coast, maybe you've seen those lighthouses near rocky beaches. And they're a warning that danger is imminent. And what the Lord does for us is he gives his word as sort of a lighthouse to us. There's danger here. And if you don't, if you don't recognize this danger, there'll be a collision and a crash. And the Lord knows that we need to be warned, and so he warns us. The Lord knows our need to be protected. In verse 24, he says, I'm not going to put any more a burden on you, church at Thyatira, these so-called secrets of Satan. Some have said, listen, we'll, we can just sort of dabble in the things of God and the things of Satan. The Lord reminds us that we need to be protected, and the Lord is a God who protects us. God wants what's best for you, whether you see that fully or not. The Lord knows our need to hold fast. He says in verse 25, only hold on to what you have until I come. Sort of like a life preserver, to use another ocean idea. A life preserver thrown to us when we're drowning, and we grab that and hold on. The Lord says, I want you to hold on until I come. We're reminded in this book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that the Lord is going to return. Perhaps in our own lifetime, the Lord will return. And he's telling us in our own day, in our own culture, in our own problems, in our own difficulties, hold fast. Hang on to what counts. The world's promises are empty. It's, it's a shifting sand, and we, we sink under the burden of our world, but the Lord has something better for us. And so he tells us, hold on to what you have until I come. I'm coming. One day you'll meet me either in the air or through death itself, you're going to meet me and hold on until that day. He reminds us of our need for victory. In verse 26, he says, the one who conquers and who keeps my work to the end, I'll give him authority over the nations. And he quotes a passage from the Old Testament. He'll rule them with an iron scepter, shatter them like pottery. And he's talking here about victory. I think part of that victory is the millennial reign. And we'll talk about that when we get further into the book of Revelation, the time when we when believers rule with the Lord in this world. But ultimately, he's talking about the victory of heaven itself. And there'll come a day when there's no more sorrow and pain and brokenness and sin. And we'll recognize the truth most fully and accurately. And we'll experience God most directly and personally. And God wants victory for you. Some of you are here and you're so close to the gospel. I mean, you're at a place where you'll hear about the message of the gospel. But you've never experienced that victory personally. You've never experienced it for yourself. You've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ to save you. And this day, don't be so close to the victory that God offers to you and not receive it. I want to ask you today, right where you are, to turn from your sin and give your life to Christ and find forgiveness in Jesus. And if you'll repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus, who died for you, rose from the grave for you, you'll be saved. And I want you to find that victory today. When you're in heaven one day, you'll see this, how important this decision is today. And then notice our need to have intimacy with God. In uh, verse 28, Jesus said, I will also give him the morning star. Now, the morning star is used 
in a couple of different ways. We use the word morning star to describe Venus. It's the star that outshines the rest in the morning sky often. And the Lord is, has used the word morning star in a couple of ways. It's used it as, to refer to the enemy who fell from heaven and was called the morning star, who was bright in heaven and yet fell and went the wrong direction. But Jesus uses the term morning star of himself. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus calls himself the morning star. What he's saying here is, I will, he's saying I will also give him the morning star. He's reminding us that God made us for a closeness with him. And God gives us himself. God didn't make you just to know about him, but God wants you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. And in salvation, we can come to know Christ as Savior. In our walk with the Lord, we come to experience him more fully. God wants that sort of intimacy, that sort of spiritual depth from your life. And then the Lord knows our need to listen. And I want you to go to verse 29. This is a verse that over and over we see in some form or fashion said to each of the churches. But notice, let's, let's really pay attention to it this morning. Verse 29. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. That's you, right? You've got ears to hear. Listen, he says. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't miss this, he's saying. Don't gloss over this so quickly that you don't pay attention. Listen to what the Spirit's saying to the churches. He's saying, this is for you. Do you have a friend or a family member who just makes every conversation about them? So you may say, you tell them something, and then it just reminds them of a story, and they tell a story about themselves. And every conversation comes back to them. Well, listen, uh, I do that sometimes. And I see that when I see it in others, and it's a common thing, by the way. I realize that person's not listening very well. They're just listening enough to be able to be prompted to a story that they're going to tell about themselves, and they're not really listening to you. They're just, I do this sometimes with people as well, and I, I catch myself, and it's frustrating for me to, I, I'm frustrated when I see it in others, and then when I, on those occasions when I notice it, find myself doing that, it's a frustrating thing. And worse than that, I find myself doing that to God. And not really listening to what he has to say, just reading it, you know, yeah, those bad people out there who aren't paying attention well or reading the stories and, but not letting them sink deep into my heart. The frustration is all the greater because God gives me his word so that I'll listen and learn and apply and live it out. And so let's put this verse into practice. Anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. God wrote this for you. He wants you to know that he knows your works. And he knows, the, he knows the love, the endurance, the service. He knows it. If no one else in all the world sees it, he sees it. And he knows your weakness. I mean, he knows the compromise or the immorality. And he says, listen, I've got a better way. And he knows your need. And he knows your needs better than you know them. And so he says to you, I want you to hear. I want you to listen. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't be this close to the truth, to the victory, and miss it. Instead, listen to what I'm saying, Jesus says. 
listen and let me do a work in you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Some of you are here who need to be saved. You need to be born again to use the words of Jesus. Will you this day turn from yourself and your sin and place your faith in Jesus who lived for you and died for you and rose from the grave for you right where you sit today? Will you give your life to Christ? Trust him as Savior? Christian, would you say, God, I want to hear what you have to say. You know me. You know my works. You know my weakness. And you know my need. And so this day, Lord, I want to hear what your spirit is saying to me, to my church. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of this word to the church at Thyatira. We need it. There's so much like us. We have a, like the church at Thyatira, we want to pretend that there is no sin. We want to push it away, redefine it, argue with it. But you love us too much to not tell us the truth. Lord, you know our works. You know the good, the right. You know the strength, the, the, the heart. And we thank you that you know, even if no one else in all the world sees what we do. And you know our need, and you tell us the truth about that. And so, Father, use this in our lives. Draw people to you in salvation. Help us to walk more closely with you. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.